Welcome to the Rock Church Audio Podcast. We are so glad that you joined us today. Rock Church is located on Harrison Avenue between Mulford and Perryville Roads in Rockford, Illinois. Now let's join Pastor Jared with today's message. Why don't you turn with me today to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll be looking at verses, uh, or rather just verse 11. This was um, something the Lord started to stir within me uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, you know, not knowing kind of all that was going to transpire uh, this week, and I trust that uh, you will discover that, uh, you know, the word of the Lord this morning is timely and relevant for all of us. And I have to say thank you to our staff, you know, for all that they did to cover while I was gone. It's uh, just a joy, you know, to uh, see things carry on and ramp up and to see them do well as uh, the Lord uses them and their giftings. And it's good to be back, too. You know, last Sunday we were uh, at Christian Life Church uh, worshiping with Hannah and Luke. Got to spend the day with them. And it was a beautiful service filled with life and uh, the presence of the Lord. And it's always good to know that uh, you know, God is moving across the land and to be a part of that. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. Let's look at that and then we will uh, dive into the meaning of what it uh, is sharing with us today. Paul writes, Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. And as we look at it today, we're looking at it living in a reality with regards to what we experienced last year and even how this new year has already begun. I just mentioned to the staff, you know, later in the week that it took the year 2021 about all of five or six days for us to be able to say, whoa, I haven't seen that before. All of these things that we've experienced over the last year are reminding us that we live in a broken and in a depraved world. And we are seeing unfold before us events that were foretold in the scripture. And we, the church, in the midst of it all, have a great hope and a great assurance. We know that all that we are seeing will culminate with the return of Christ. And we know that between now and then, our Savior is with us and He sustains us. You know, but in the meantime, there may, may be some questions that are, are rising up and occupying your minds. I know that many people have asked me these questions over the course of the last year. And there are questions like this. You know, how do we live? How are we supposed to live? What, you know, what is required of us in these days? How do we respond to the events that transpire? And, and who do we look to as we process the things that we see and experience? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 gives us some direction and some insight in regards to how we are to answer those questions. In a portion of the chapter that we did not read in the beginning of the chapter, uh, Paul is referring to uh, some Old Testament events that had happened. 
specifically things that were related to the Exodus. He refers to uh, the cloud. You remember that as the nation was being led out and they were being led into the wilderness and towards the promised land, that there was a pillar and a cloud that was with the people of God throughout that journey. And Paul reminds the church in Corinth of that. He reminds them of the crossing of the Red Sea and the miracle that God executed for his people. He talks about spiritual food that was given. We're, 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 we're familiar with the fact that there was manna that came from heaven. But along that journey, Paul says, you know what? God gave his people a spiritual food that was not physical in its nature, but rather spiritual because it built them up and it strengthened them. But at the end, in verse 5, there he also talks about a generation that was scattered in the wilderness. You remember that there was a generation that did not make it to the promised land because of the condition of their heart and, and how they were responding to the things that were around them. And Paul shares those things and he is telling the church that all of these things are being given to you as an example. An example. So this, this example that, 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 that they and we are being given is, 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 is one that is a type and it is giving us spiritual truth. But it's not just an example that we are to be aware of. It's not just something that we observe. But rather there is a, a deeper impact that this example is to have upon us because Paul takes it one more step and he says, these things have been given to you as an example, but they have been given to you as an admonishment. Well, that's not a word that is uh, very uh, common in our vernacular. You know, we haven't used the word admonishment, you know, this week perhaps. Unless you were me preparing the sermon. So here's the, here's the picture of what the example that is to admonish us is to accomplish. Paul is saying that the truth that it, we are being reminded of is something that is to lay a truth upon our minds. I want you to think about a blanket for a moment. It is a truth that is to come upon us, it is to occupy our minds, and it is to settle in to the degree that it changes how we see the things that are going on around us. Maybe it transforms our thinking because we're no longer thinking about things in regards to how we are able to size it up, but we are thinking of it through the lens and the filter of the example we are being given from those who have gone before us. It's an admonishment. And Paul is telling us this because he is experiencing the substance of this reality in his own life. And his life is being laid before us as an example, just like the examples from the Old Testament that he is giving the Corinthian church. And there's a, a very specific focus that Paul wants us to take away from this text. And that focus is this. How are we to live for Christ in the last days? 
Because that's how verse 11 ends. Upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And when Paul writes those words, he's talking about himself, but he's also talking about you and me. Because the end of the age began after the cross and after the resurrection. And because of that, Paul is including himself in what we have just read. And as he is talking about himself here, he is reminding us, and he's reminding himself, that he too is living in the end of the age. Paul, because of this, planned every day as if it might be his last. And as, he, and as if he might be standing before the Lord very soon. One of his first letters was the book of First Thessalonians. And in that book, he talks about the return of Christ in every chapter. Because he knew that he was living in the end of the age. Paul included himself in the rapture of the church towards the end of that book when he wrote the words, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up with them together in the clouds. So here is how we are to approach and to uh, embrace our text today. We're to recognize it's been given for our admonishment so that we can be changed by its truth. But then we are to be like Paul in drawing the conclusion that we are living in the end of the age. So I want to take a look at Paul's life today. So that we can follow him as he is following Christ. And one of the things that we might be tempted to draw as a conclusion as we live our lives is that we are living in a day and in a time that um, is unique and no one else has experienced the things that we are experiencing today. And that is not true. I want you to, to look at the life that Paul lived in the New Testament world here for a second. And uh, I'm going to get a, a, maybe a little, bit, um, um, a little bit academic here for a moment, okay? You might feel like you're sitting in a Bible college class. And you know what? That's okay. That's okay. Um, because the Bible is filled with history. And the history teaches us just as much as the doctrinal truth that it provides to us. And, and sometimes those historical facts, we skim over them, and sometimes we don't connect them. So I want to try to connect some things today so that we can, we can gain a greater appreciation for what Paul is telling us. You know, life in the New Testament world, we can see up there on the screen that it was uh, a world where there were uh, emperors who were deified, and they were wanting to receive worship. That would be you know, the, the Caesar and the Roman Empire and, and other kingdoms that existed outside of the Roman Empire, oftentimes those who were leading the people saw themselves as God and demanded worship from the people. So it was a very uh, almost dictatorial kind of moment in, in history. And because of that, there were many strong deceptions and false teachers who were across the land 
anyone who would rise up against these individuals and kind of the system that was in place would face persecution and imprisonment. It was common. It was not out of the ordinary. But then across the empire, there was widespread unrest and it was regular for famines and for pestilence to be experienced somewhere in the empire. So as Paul says that we are living in the end of the age and there are things that we need to recognize, he is living in that kind of a reality right there. And let's look at life today. Obviously, we are living in a COVID-19 pandemic with all the fears and the concerns that that go along with that. Uh, I, I think the Apostle Paul would have felt rather at home in the world that we are living in today because he experienced many of the same challenges, many of the same concerns, maybe a little bit different in their expression, but the challenges yet being the same. In fact, I'll just remind you that all that we have to do is really go back about a hundred years. Because when you go back a hundred years, our society experienced much of what we've been going through over the last year because of the Spanish flu. In fact, I um, you know, went back and, and even researched a little bit more of what our community went through in that time and was a little bit surprised to discover that uh, during the Spanish flu there was a mask mandate. So that gave me hope because sometimes I hear people say, we're going to have to do this all the time. Well, if history repeats itself, we won't. There'll be an end to it. I'm grateful for that. And during that moment, a hundred years ago, right here in Winnebago County, there were schools that were closed and churches that were closed for a period. And in fact, we have come back together more quickly than they did a hundred years ago. And our political leaders a hundred years ago within Winnebago County established a fine of, I believe it was $10 if you were caught out in the community not wearing a mask. No, it was $5. $5 or a mandatory 10 days in jail. So I'm glad that we didn't see some of the same. But we live in a world and a life and a time that, that looks much like what Paul was experiencing during New Testament times. In the greater world, we're seeing nuclear proliferation. You're not hearing much about Iran and Saudi Arabia and North Korea. There's financial and political uncertainty. We've experienced more of that ramping up again this week. And something that you really got to dig for is this truth that is kind of an undercurrent in our world today. But there is a, a global religious deception that has its agenda and its priority to establish and to craft in a, 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 a one agreed upon truth. And you know what? The church is going to stand in opposition to that because they are going to ask us to strip away the truths that are central to our faith. And I think we're not hearing a lot about that intentionally. So the idea that we're living in a day that is unique is, is untrue because we are seeing things that Paul would, would say these are very familiar. 
And I would remind us today that not only are the New Testament world and the world that we are living in familiar, but they are all of the events that have transpired are setting the stage for the Antichrist, the one the Scripture calls the beast or the man of sin. It is all culminating to an end. It is culminating to a historical process that began when Christ was resurrected and ascended to the right hand of the Father. But I would also remind us of this church. It is all setting the stage for his return. For his return. And Paul knew this. And he lived accordingly. And the seasons of his life can inform us and they can inspire us. So let me get just a little bit more nerdy here for a moment. And give you some things that you just kind of thought you would not talk about this morning in church. Because I want to give you the stages of Paul's life and of Paul's ministry. You can kind of see his adult life from beginning to end. Paul was saved in A.D. 33. We see that in Acts chapter 9. You recount that moment. He's a religious zealot. He's been trained by the finest Jewish teachers and he believes that he is doing God a favor by persecuting the church. And one day, as he is on the road to Damascus, thinking that he is doing the will of God, he's literally knocked off his horse. He, he has an encounter with the living Christ. And he is saved in that time, and his life is totally transformed. But then from that time, he goes to Arabia from A.D. 33 to about A.D. 35. He talks about this in Galatians chapter 1. This is a, a, a much forgotten part about Paul's life because everybody thinks he picked himself off a getting knocked off the horse, that he picks himself up and he immediately becomes the Apostle Paul. No, he spends some years in Arabia being trained, uh, literally by Christ himself. And he's, 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 he's being raised up and educated in Arabia. Then he returns to Tarsus. And he's there from approximately A.D. 36 to A.D. 43. Again, in Acts chapter 9. And this is a, a homecoming for Paul. This is where he grew up. This is where his heritage is. This is where everybody knows him. He goes from Tarsus to Antioch, which was uh, one of the first churches, we believe. And in fact, maybe one of the first mega churches. You know, there was not a street on every corner back in those days. And there was a, a, a healthy and large assembling of believers in Antioch. And this was the body of believers in Acts chapter 11 that launches the Apostle Paul into his ministry time. And he not only had one missionary journey, not only two missionary journeys, but he had three that the scriptures record of. And there is some historical speculation that there may have even been a little bit more beyond what we see in the book of Acts, because we know that he desired to push farther west. And then from A.D. 59 to A.D. 67, Paul was imprisoned. 
He was um, one who had turned the world upside down, and the world did not appreciate that. And they thought, surely for our own protection and good, we need to imprison this man. So let me give you a couple of reasons why I think it's important to connect these dots. Because I think it gives us a frame of reference for kind of how we view our lives and, 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 and how the Lord works through us in the days that we live. And I want you to understand today that Paul trained 14 years to serve for 10. He trained 14 years to serve for 10. Now, now we might look at that, and especially in our Western mindset where things are instant and we want things to happen quickly and, and delays are oftentimes you know, seen as, as um, not good. <laughs> we, we, we would interpret that and say, you know what, it ought to be the other way around. That maybe he trained for 10 for 14. Or maybe he should have only trained for 4 for 20. <laughs> but that's not how God chose to orchestrate things. And then that's an important thing for us to understand because it reminds us <laughs> that when we feel like we have lost time, God is able to redeem time. We'll talk about that a little bit more in just a moment. But Paul's life, much of it was invested in serving God while waiting One of the things that I just, I just hope the Lord settles into your heart right now. This morning as we're gathered together as His people. is this. We need to trust the slow work of God. Waiting is hard and it goes contrary to so much of how we think. We need to trust the slow work of God. To the degree that we believe that even what God is establishing in us personally and in us as a congregation in this COVID season is something that is just preparing us for the next turning of the page. How do we do that? How do we experience that? How do we live that out? How does that become our reality? Well, there are some lessons that we can learn from Paul in regards to how we are to live for Christ at the end of the age. So I want to give you some things. and We're going to just really kind of take a snapshot here. And I'm hoping that you know, the Holy Spirit just quicken something to your heart that you'll think about a little bit more deeply for your own life as we leave here today. So what are we to take away? From the example of Paul, the first thing I'll give you is this. Study all that you can. Study all that you can. Preparation is vital. This is why Paul spent those three years in Arabia. You know, I, I sometimes hear people say, well, you know what? Um, you know, I don't need a piece of paper to do what God has called me to do. And, 
and you know what, it's not about a piece of paper and see in the classroom, but rather it is about a heart and a life that says, I am committed to being a student in every season of life. I am committed to learning. I am committed to, to receiving the truth of God's word. Whether that means I sit in a classroom and get a degree, or whether that means I'm serving the Lord in some other capacity, I am doing it from a heart that is hungry to know Him and to learn from Him and to have my life centered around His truth. Not my wisdom, but His. I think this is why in Philippians 3.10, Paul just said this, it is the desire of my heart and I do what I do and I live the way that I live for this reason, that I may know Him. That I may know Him. Because as the believer, shall I say, as a believer, what flows from our life should flow from the time that we have with Him. Today and every day, I just encourage us all to take a step towards knowing Him more. And let's study be a part of what releases that reality into your life. We also learn this from the example of Paul. Not only study all you can, but wait for God's timing. Wait for God's timing. Growth takes time. You know, Paul spent seven years in his hometown after the three years in Arabia. And there are portions of Paul's life that, that, that we are not given in the historical record of the New Testament. And, 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 and we know that, that as he, he writes some of his epistles, he talks about uh, some of the experiences that he had, the persecutions, the hardships, the challenges, and, and not all of them are recorded in the book of Acts. And I believe that some of those things transpired when he was in Tarsus, his hometown. That some of his most challenging moments occurred during the time when he went back home. Jesus said a prophet is not received in his hometown. And I think that's maybe Paul, Paul um, experienced some of that reality. But he faced those challenges. And in that seven year period, I believe that the Lord was cultivating a heart and a response to those things because the Lord knew that Paul would face more and greater challenges in the days and the years to come. And that's why in Philippians 2.5, Paul writes these words, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ. That as we, we face the persecutions and we face the challenges and we, 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 we see the concerning things that are happening around us, Paul says this. He says, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ. In other words, don't face it with your humanness, but face it through the power of the one who was resurrected. And how do we do that? We do that through a humility because as Paul pens the words, let this mind be in you, he is doing it 
trying to help us understand the substance of Christ coming to this world. He left the glory of heaven and he humbled himself. So as we wait on God's timing, as we live in the end of the age, as we see things that have the potential to rattle us each and every day, wait on God's timing and let his mind be in you. Humble yourself. Look beyond your own interests and remain rooted in the one who overcame. Let God grow you. You see, the assignment of living at the end of the age is is either going to trap you or it is going to grow you. It may trap you in things that moth and rust and the culmination of the end of the age will burn away. Or it will grow you into the things that are deep and rich and only found in Christ that are eternal. Paul's life reminds us to study all that we can and to wait for God's timing. But it also highlights the importance of listening to a Barnabas. Of having a Barnabas to turn to. You see, everyone needs discipleship, and discipleship is not a process that ever comes to an end. One of the frustrations I feel about the day that we live in is discipleship oftentimes is is, is, is wrapped into a 12-week program during a Sunday school class, and it creates this idea that when I finish the course, I'm done with discipleship, when in reality, discipleship is an everyday thing. No matter how long you have known Him and followed Him, He has more for you. And those three years in Antioch and the time in Tarshish and somewhere in that window of time is when Barnabas comes into Paul's life. And Barnabas is the the person who, who kind of bridges the gap between the the things that, that make Paul who he is, but are also some of the things that make him a challenging person. Because <laughs> I know that, that in that, that window of time, Barnabas is the one that God is using to prepare Paul for the missionary journeys. And, 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 and sometimes it was, it was just his resolve and his passion and his convictions and his tenacity, and his strength of personality that were being refined in that time, and they were going to be absolutely essential so that he could stand before rulers, and he could stand in the temple in the face of opposition and fulfill his assignment. And undoubtedly, Paul learned from Barnabas on how to shape those parts of his personality that at some points were going to be a little bit abrasive.
Because as John Mark begins to, to join a journey and doesn't meet Paul's expectation, Paul says, you know what, get out of here. And who goes with John Mark? Barnabas. Barnabas. And he walks with John Mark, and then later in Paul's life, he says, send John Mark to me because he is profitable for the work. We all need a Barnabas. We all need a Barnabas who can look us in the eye and say, man, God has formed and fashioned you for this day and this hour and this time. But you know what? There's a little bit of refining that's needed. There's a little bit of dying to self that needs to happen and a little bit more Christ-likeness that needs to come to the surface. And I just believe that we all live in that reality and Barnabas was one that God used in Paul's life so that he could write in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but he who lives in me. But here's the reality, church. That does not happen in isolation. It only happens in community. We are a body. We are a people who have been knit together because we need one another and what each of us bring to this community makes the community whole because every joint provides. And as we function at that level, it is then and only then that we begin to see heart and life transformation. And here is the great, great challenge and trap that stands before us. If you are ever convinced in your heart that you don't need your brothers and sisters you are going to lose the race. Because what you will experience is the receiving of a lot of information that pricks your heart and stirs your heart, but you won't experience the substance of it. We all need a Barnabas, and we all need to be a Barnabas. I'll give you a bonus that Thursday night didn't get. I just kind of feel it quickened in my heart. You know, I oftentimes 
have people ask me, you know, where is America talked about at the end of times? Does the Bible talk about America? Does it talk about us? And you know, there's, um, there's, you know, debate on whether there's like this clear and direct, you know, focus on America. I, I tend to think that, you know, in the West, we like to make ourselves the center of everything. And you know what? The Bible doesn't necessarily do that. But here is one of my, my great fears. I think there is a strong possibility that in Revelation 3, as Jesus is talking to John about the churches, he's talking about America. Because he's talking about a church that is prosperous and lacking in nothing. But they are weak and they are naked, he says. And I think that may just speak about a church that knows an awful lot, but that hasn't been transformed by the truth. Because there has been a pride and not a humility. So Paul's life reminds us that as we live in the end of the age, we need one another. And that the life we've been called to live is not one of isolation. It also reminds us that we need to run the race. Reminds us that God can do a lot in a short time. Paul spent 10 years on the mission field, 14 years preparing for it, and then almost another 10 in prison after it. <clears throat> but when the Lord opened the door, Paul ran the race. He did as much as he could, and he did all that he could. He was focused. And in Philippians 3.14, he says, I press toward the goal. For the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, he said, I now have an open door in front of me, and I'm going to press towards that goal. I'm going to go. I'm going to give it everything that I have. I'm going to leave it all on the field. God can do a lot in a short time. Because of that, small things are not insignificant. Brief encounters are not um, inadequate when the Lord is in them. I, I just encourage you that, you know, as you feel the quickening and the prompting of the Lord and He begins to stir your heart, don't underestimate what He can do with a phone call, a cup of coffee, or a card. An encounter out in the community. A knock on the door. Run your race. Do what God has called you to do. Even though you may sense it's short and insignificant, know the power of God is behind acts of love and grace and kindness. And I encourage you 
Lead with those things as you run your race. Your words and your thoughts and your actions lead with love and grace and kindness. As you press on towards the goal. And then as you do that, learn contentment. God can use us anywhere. The picture that you have in your mind of, of how it should be, throw it away. Because when we go to live our lives according to a script of our choosing, we set ourselves up for great disappointment. Because God can use us anywhere. There was a 10-year window of time when, when Paul was standing in the temple preaching the gospel, planting churches, seeing people delivered from demonic possession, seeing communities transformed, going where the gospel had never gone before because he was taking it to Gentiles. But then there was a 10-year period of time almost where he was chained and he was in prison and he was cold and he was lonely. And during that time, he wrote much of the New Testament. And when he couldn't write, he recognized he had a captive audience and he witnessed to everyone around him. And that's why he writes back to the churches. You know, even some in Caesar's household have come to faith. And when Paul got that, he declared in Philippians 4.11, I have learned, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. To be content. He unpacks it a little bit more. If I've got food or if I'm hungry. If I'm warm or if I'm cold, if I'm under shelter or not, I have learned to be content. Now, I want to tell you, there is a place for discontentment. All right? You know, and these are some of the issues that we've been sorting out over the last year, right? Because we've never faced them before. You know, there's the authority that has been given to leaders and their jurisdiction is here and not over the kingdom and when they try to impose their authority over kingdom things then we have a problem and we should be discontent it's the reason why the apostles when they were told to not preach in that name anymore went right out and preached and they did so after they prayed for boldness And as we, we face the things that we faced, you know, my heart was going to be very discontent if they said, you can't preach the gospel, you can't gather, you can't worship. You know, and once we knew what we were dealing with and we opened our doors early, we did it because we are under a, a, a call and a mandate that is kingdom. But you know what? As we've gone throughout the year, there are some things that I miss. I miss a lot of time with you guys. 
some of the routines and opportunities that we had become familiar with were just needing to be sidelined for a moment. Friday, we celebrated the the life of Steve DeGutis. And uh, the service had to be a graveside service. And as we were preparing to go to the graveside, I, I just I had a chance to spend probably a good 30 minutes with John and Mavis Reedman and just talk as the family was having their time at the funeral home and they were driving Judy to the to the cemetery and and um, I just left there saying, man, it was just so good. So good to be able to talk, catch up. And I've missed that time. And I know that you have too. I gotta say this though, we've gotta you know, we 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 gotta we gotta work a little bit harder right now to do some of what we need to do. But you know what? There are things that will be coming back soon. You know, to help make a way. But you know what? In the middle of it all, we've got to find contentment and not criticism or an adversarial posture. And and how did Paul learn that kind of contentment? He learned it because the measure of his joy and his value was not found in circumstances or in treasure. But it was found in Christ. Let me give you one last one. I I know I've gone a little bit long. He learned contentment, but then he also gives us this final example of loving Jesus more than everything. More than everything. Can I meddle a little bit? Can you give me permission to just maybe go to a sensitive spot for a second? Sometimes, you know, when you're getting ready to to share something, the Lord kind of quickens something in your heart, and you're just kind of like, you know what, Lord, I don't know that I, I really want to go there. But we need to love Jesus more than everything. And what we do reveals what we love. So I want to ask you this morning, have you been at more political rallies or prayer meetings? tally the things that you have rallied around? Have you been at more prayer meetings or have you been at more political rallies? Now hear me. I am all for us reflecting kingdom value in how we vote 
and in how we influence. I've preached it. I've had to live it out over the last year in ways I never dreamt were possible as I sat in offices and looked leaders in the eye and said, you've got to think about this in a different way. You know, what have you been feeding your soul? Talk radio? Or the truth about Jesus and the age that we live in? I'm asking you that because what we give our time to reveals what we love. And we need to love Jesus more than everything. See, Paul knew he was just one piece in the master's plan. And he never forgot what Christ had done for him. And that's why he wrote in Philippians 2.17 that he poured out his life as a love offering to the Savior. When he was cold and he was lonely and he was awaiting death. He looked back upon his life and how he lived. And he was able to say this as he wrote to the young pastor named Timothy. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And he could only say that because he had learned to love Jesus more than everything. So Paul's life admonishes us. There's a truth that it wants to lay upon our minds. that would encourage us in the value of studying, of waiting on God's timing, of, of listening to and being a Barabbas, of running the race, of learning contentment, and of loving Jesus more than anything. And as we receive these admonishments this morning, I want to close with this question. What truth is the Lord laying upon your life. And as you think about that, join me in standing as we close today. What truth is the Lord wanting to lay upon your life? You let the Spirit of God answer the question, not me. Let's take a moment to do that. Ask Him to speak to you. Ask Him to bring that application to your life. And as you receive that, receive it from a posture of surrender. Don't push back against it.
would embrace it today. Say, Lord, as we live at the end of the age, I want to live for you. I want to live for you. Trust your plan. I want to serve you each day. You know, the New Year time is a time where we often make personal commitments. I'm going to do this. We exercise, we change our diet, we develop a new thing that we think would be good for us today. Today, let's commit ourselves to Him. If you're doing that, would you just kind of raise your hands in a posture of surrender to the receiving position and you just say, Lord, I want to receive all that you have today. Do work in me. Lord, we consecrate ourselves to you. Lord, we want to live for you. We want to know you more. And I pray that as we leave this place today, Lord, may we leave having sensed your touch and your clear word to us, but also your help to do what you are calling us to do. Go in his grace. Encourage one another on the way out. Thank you for worshiping today. Thank you for joining us on our podcast today. We hope this has been a blessing in your life, and we look forward to having you joining us in person for a service soon. Our service times are Thursday nights at 7 o'clock and two services on Sunday morning at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. God bless you.